Hey Retro Gamers, today on Smashing Bricks, we rescue all the cute little bunnies and animals from the evil Dr. Robotnik in Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sega Genesis. Hey, welcome back to Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast. This is episode 25. My name is Eddie Inzotto, and today I'm joined by a podcasting legend, a founding father of the Cane and Rinse podcast, Mr. Leon Cox. Hey, Leon, how are you? Hello. Uh, I'm all right, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You gave me a lot of E's in the show notes and a lot of O's in the reading. Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you mm. are from the Cane and Rinse podcast. Mm. Now that is a 13 years running show. Yeah. I've already had a guest from the Cane and Rinse podcast on. Yes. I had James Carter on and the James. show. So how's it going for you over there? Yeah. Um, it just keeps going. Um, we can't stop. So... Uh, because uh, like a bit like yourself, we cover a game or series of games per podcast. We've done, uh, what, 600-odd shows over oh my God. 12 years. Uh, we're in, yeah, we're in our 13th year, I think, in 2024. And we have a very uh, wide remit in terms of the kind of games we cover. We cover new stuff, ancient stuff, and everything in between. Any genre, any format that we can play on. And so because uh, they keep releasing more and more games, our list keeps getting longer and longer. And so even if mm. after the end of a year, I think, oh, do you know, we've done quite a lot of these. I look at the big list of several thousand titles that we've got that we'd still like to talk about. And I think, well, we better carry on. So <laughs> so we do. Yeah. I saw an, an article today with uh, somebody from a publisher saying there are too many video games. And I'm, I'm inclined to agree <laughs> in terms <laughs> of... Uh, how long I've got left to live and how many games I still want to play and how many games I'd like to talk about. The the kind of the USP of our podcast was always that you have to actually beat the game that you talk about. Mm -hmm. So covering 50 games a year, I host like 30 or 35 of those shows. So that means that I definitely kind of have to finish that many games a year. So it's it's a there's a there's a sort of element of um, discipline about it as well. Yeah, that's quite a few. So. That's awesome. Love Cane and Rinse. Thank you. But the listeners don't exactly know you unless they have listened to Cane and Rinse. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about your gaming habits and history so they have a good idea of where you're coming from with your sure. opinions and uh, positions on games. Mm. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. So first off, when did you start playing video games? My earliest memories are definitely being sat on bar stools uh, as a sort of seven-year-old, six or seven, mm. in pubs, being put up against the Space Invaders and Asteroids machines of the time. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, totally. But then 
in in the UK in the early 80s people had particularly had ZX Spectrum computers or Commodore 64 computers um, and some had Amstrads and um, and that was the the kind of the the way in going around friends houses and seeing these incredibly cool and exciting games that sparked my imagination and then I got on board the train with my own computer in about 1985 I got an Atari 800XL mm-hmm. Um, which was actually much bigger in America than it was in the UK, but I loved it nonetheless, and it did me for for the next few years, and then ever since then I've been, yeah, you know, making the format and generation jump whenever it came up. So yeah, so, so cool. how many years? Uh, I don't know how many. Yeah, four, forty something years anyway. Yeah, amazing. You are a pre-crash gamer. Yeah, which is yeah, unusual. Very much so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so. Over all those years, have you settled on a favorite game genre? I'm going to sound very sitting on the fancy with a lot of these answers, but no, I <laughs> like a lot of stuff, a lot, too much stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'll add, I'll, I'll play almost any genre, um, and pro- yeah, probably to a fault. I think that there's probably some genres that I've persisted with that I've never been a huge fan of, but just because I'm, I always want to like feel the the fun that other people are getting from it, so. But yeah, you know, I like I like classic arcade action. I like, you know, high score games and single screen platformers and old school shmups oh. and things like that. But but yeah, I'm just as happy sitting down with the latest AAA open world RPG bonanza. Very cool. An omni gamer. Yeah. A true omni gamer. Pretty much. Okay. Well, how about this? Do you have a favorite console generation? <sighs> It was very exciting in the mid to late 90s. Uh, mm. I think actually a lot of those games from that era have actually aged the worst. The 3D games in particular, the Polygon yeah. games from the N64 and the PS1 look pretty wobbly and shaky now. But yeah, I, th- I don't think I've ever been more kind of excited about video games than I was right then. But having said that, you know, I think the the 360 was an amazing time. The PS4 was an amazing time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know I'm always hedging my bets with these answers. Yeah, I see, we're on, we're seeing a trend here. Yeah, yeah, I like everything. I agree with you though about that time. I always think that that was the most exciting time for me. Okay, but just before that, and related to the game that we're going to be talking about <laughs> today, there was the Super Nintendo or SNES versus the sega genesis or mega drive mm-hmm. so between those two <laughs> which side were you on it's it comes down to the libraries it's always down to the games not the hardware itself um and i think in terms of long-term play it would probably be the super nintendo just because i think okay. the first party games on there were that much more kind of epic than a lot of the sega stuff which was very brief but actually that was to its credit in in terms of like sonic that we're going to talk about pros and cons but yes i suppose if i if i only had access to one of those libraries forever it would be it would be the super nintendo's library Mm. okay you forced me into a choice i forced you okay this one you're most certainly not going to have a definitive answer for or (laughs) prove me wrong do you have a favorite game of all time no, but uh, if I if I'm if I'm forced at gunpoint into a corner, a few titles do spring to mind. So Gallagher um, is a game that I can still play 
for hours and hours. Um, always makes me happy. Um, Bubble Bobble, Tato's nineteen eighty six yeah. coin op, and uh, I should say uh, Rainbow Islands, the story of Bubble Bobble two. Uh, yeah. yeah. So let's say that Rainbow Islands. Okay. All right. So so that's Leon, everybody, an omni gamer, an all time <laughs> gamer. And probably the most objective voice you will ever hear <laughs> on video games. So that's what you can take away listening to this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's time to get into our game, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Yeah, so it is. And I, I think one of the reasons that I think it, it's fun to talk about Sonic, even though it sounds like a very, you know, obvious kind of pick for a show like this, is mm -hmm. that I think like the gaming world has perhaps probably because Sega have has lost sight of what Sonic the Hedgehog was, mm -hmm. which to me was a a fairly surreal, fanciful character platformer for uh, for a 16-bit mm -hmm. console in the very early 90s. Long before, although I think he was sort of designed to have a certain amount of Western appeal and attitude, the, the way that that manifested in the original Sonic was in this very kind of charming, cute, delightful, colourful way. I should say I was, as people will have maybe worked out, I was actually arguably a bit old for Sonic the Hedgehog when he arrived. Mm. So I was, I guess I was 18, 19 when Sonic came out, whereas my little cousins were more of the sort of 8 to 12 age group that I think were probably where Sonic was weaponized towards them with the comics and all that sort of thing. They were the sort of kids that could name every single bad Nick in the game. Whereas me, it was just like, here's another cool 16-bit game that I want to play. Um, yeah, and I think the, the, it, was my, it was my even older friend, actually, Jim, who's, uh, who's now in his 60s, who showed me Sonic the Hedgehog for the first time. Obviously, I'd seen it in magazines, but I remember him... He had the 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 Genesis that I would end up buying off him, and uh, he rented Sonic the Hedgehog as people did back then from Blockbuster, and uh, and I remember the loop the loop aspect in Green Hill Zone Stage One. Um, it's hard to imagine now, but things like that just weren't really possible <laughs> on, on previous generations of machines. Um, yeah. Platforms were flat and. Uh, backgrounds were flat they were not there weren't slopes and there you know and they were certainly weren't loop the loops um so it was the, the the size of the character the boldness of the visuals the the kind of the catchiness of the music um all that stuff actually was more impressive to me than the much vaunted speed of the character uh which was an aspect and a facet but it was actually the feel of just negotiating this bizarre fantasy land and jumping on these enemies and popping them so satisfyingly that kind of <laughs> propelled me through. Yeah. It is so interesting that that curvature that they added was mm. like so unusual, kind of striking. Um, but it's funny you mm. mentioned that as like your first thing because when I was doing some of my research, that was an issue for them. The programmer, Yuji Naka, he he had trouble getting Sonic to actually do the loop instead of just yeah. like clipping through it or something. Yeah. So they yeah. did a lot of reworking of that that particular Green Hill Zone. 
before yeah. kind of settling in on how to build this game. Yeah, I think from from what I understand from reading about the development and watching videos and stuff, it was yeah, it was uh, it wasn't easy. Um, they mm -hmm. you know they had a relatively short development time and uh, and they had a lot of you know they pinned Sega pinned a lot of hope and expectation on it because they didn't really have a a character for their machine that was as kind of instantly recognizable and and uh commercially viable as as say as uh, nintendo did so yeah it was um it was a big deal and yeah the game came out and and the reviews were broadly incredibly positive mm -hmm. yeah so you mentioned your little cousins i probably would have been yeah. maybe around the age of your little cousins yeah uh yeah. this this was absolutely my first 16-bit game right. now that I have started playing this for the podcast and thinking about, hmm, where did I play Sonic the Hedgehog? And as I started to play it, I realized, oh yeah, it's all coming back to me now. My friend Jacqueline had this Sega Genesis very early. I still only had a Nintendo. Sonic the Hedgehog was the first 16-bit game I think I ever laid eyes on. Mm -hmm. And we played it a lot. And... It was difficult, even though it's not supposed to be difficult, and I don't feel like it's difficult now, but I, I didn't see all the way through to the end yeah. of it. It gets a bit challenging towards the end. There are some, and there are some particular quirks and sort of design facets that I think they would smooth out a bit in the sequels, albeit different teams were involved. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it has its moments for sure, and certainly for kids. Um, but having played the 8-bit, version which was developed separately by um ancient yeah i would say overall it's considerably tougher uh oh, with a very yeah, different i guess that feel. makes sense yeah. yeah probably just harder to to program it as responsively as a 16-bit title with the power of the genesis versus the uh master system i actually played a game gear sonic game back in the day yeah. I remember playing it. I just don't remember which one it was. I don't know if it mm. was one, two, or chaos. Mm. It was pretty amazing to see Sonic running on on a little handheld back then, even with yeah, the, it was. obviously the incredible battery limitations, and knowing that it was essentially the eight bit game rather yeah. than the sixteen bit game. It was still impressive. Uh, a friend of mine had a Game Gear, and he was like, "Look, Sonic the Hedgehog on a handheld." Yeah. And yeah. The Game Gear itself was freaking amazing. After yeah. you know, only having played the Game Boy. I was like, wow, Game Gear, so good, so yeah, pretty. You just had to play it near a plug socket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it was going to lose its battery life in an hour, less. I don't know. It felt yeah, like it instantly. Terrible. Yeah, it was an expensive business unless you had a lot of rechargeables. Yeah. Um, I also had the, the Tiger Electronics LCD yeah. handheld <laughs> Sonic something or other game i remember it it was mm -hmm. white with yellow i buttons think it was just called like sonic blue. the hedgehog yeah yeah and then they made Loosely ones based. for the two and three whatever but i think i had the first oh, one. okay yeah yeah i never played one um but i've i've seen them i've seen them around um, yeah i mean those lcd games they're just bad so um you you have looked into the history of sonic yeah i mean it's just kind of been with with me and around me um but yes we i think we started our sonic series of podcasts we're just doing them sporadically a, a few years back so that was probably the last time i spent any time kind of really looking at it but you know it's never far you're never far away from a youtube video about sonic the hedgehog or a magazine article yeah plus you were already more aware of things that were going on at that time versus you know a seven-year-old which yeah, I was I was buying all the magazines. I I used to 
yeah, I used to buy an insane amount of computer game, video game magazines. And so, yeah, Sonic was uh, absolutely everywhere on covers and there were mm. always stories about it getting... There was the rumor that it was uh, US Gold were going to license it and bring it to the home computer systems. And then, of course, there were the myriad substandard ports, uh, not ports, <laughs> clones, I should say, you know, Yazuls and things like that, where um, computer game makers were trying to cash in on the kind of the the character action platformer buzz and um so yeah we we were oh. yeah steeped in it really and I, you know I, I remained a sonic fan for a good few years it really um i liked the whole series on the 16-bit systems so it was only once uh once it started going 3d that it started leaving me behind so yeah right. i was i was well into my 20s while still being a sonic fan albeit one who couldn't as I say, I couldn't list off every the name of every enemy because I wasn't eight years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this game, it came out in 91, June in North America, July on the Mega Drive in uh, your home region and mm -hmm. Japan. And apparently there was an arcade version in 91, which I had no idea about. Yeah, it's that it's um, it was the I can't remember what it's called. It's like it was a mega drive arcade machine basically a oh. mega select or something and it was on a timer so you couldn't you couldn't get anywhere you just you would run out of time and then that, that makes sense over. so it doesn't really count <laughs> yeah on a timer it reminds me of that show nick arcade where they used to play arcade cabinets right. as a competition on a game show yeah 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 we had and some they were all on like timers that. yeah um developed by sonic team who was named after this game because that's yep. where they came together, published by Sega. Programmer Yuji Naka, who had previously mm -hmm. worked on Fantasy Star on the Master System and a Genesis port of Ghouls and Ghosts to get him a little notoriety within the company. And, and now he has a very different kind of notoriety. Currently uh, uh, serving a prison sentence for insider trading or if, it, or, oh, or if possible he? his... Yeah, possible his sentence got um, transferred into a financial one. But yes, he was he was sentenced to imprisonment last year. Oh, my for, God. Uh, I had no idea. Corporate insider trading. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, notorious and um, somewhat disgraced now, which is a shame because oh, no. he was making interesting games right up until the, the 2000s. Um, anyway, in, interesting guy. But yes, sadly, um, got involved in um, financial uh, wrongdoings. Yeah. I think Yuji Naka is widely known as the father of Sonic, even though artist Naoto yeah. Oshima yeah. actually created Sonic in a way and came up with the idea of the curvature in the, the levels. Right. And yeah. designer Hirokazu Yasuhara, who joined third in this team, he was the third mm -hmm. entry to the team, which would ultimately yeah. be about seven, he became the, the lead on the project because yeah. he had more experience but naka generally history has remembered him as the father of sonic because he basically yeah. built the game i guess yeah 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 composer on the game was uh masato nakamura who was not part of sega nope. he was the bassist of a j-pop band called dreams come true at the time um i had no idea about that that's yeah, crazy yeah so I think, you know, it was kind of um, obviously there, there had been some other games by this point that had used, um, I think, in some ways incorporated the the music of real quotes artists, non-video game artists. But here the idea was, right, we've got this 
fantastic sound chip, the uh, the Yamaha YM, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, on the Mega Drive. So let's actually get somebody who really is like a proper, you know, polished pop composer. These were proper melodies, proper, you know, bops that you could um, get thoroughly hooked on and um, would actually kind of drive you through through the game. Yeah, that soundtrack definitely hit when I uh, when I started up. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this feeling. And the music brings it back. If this was the first 16-bit game you played, it must have been fairly mind-blowing to go from the, the, the kind of the burbles of the Master System to the, you know, so you got proper instruments uh, almost. Certainly, you know, what sound like drums and bass and keyboards on a, on on the Sonic the Hedgehog soundtrack. It, yeah. It would have yeah, been so... I mean, it was... <laughs> It was striking to me, even though I'd come off, you know, the Amiga, which used sampled sounds and stuff. But this was, um, yeah, and and there was already there was already plenty good music on the on the Genesis at this point. We'd already had um, Revenge of Shinobi and stuff like that. But yeah, this was so bright and shiny and happy and yeah, definitely. But why why does Sonic exist? Obviously, <laughs> to defeat Mario. <laughs> right? Which was the project's initial code name, Defeat Mario. Sega wanted a mascot because they saw the success of Super Mario. And they they wanted someone as iconic as Mickey Mouse, if that was possible. That's what Sega's hmm. president said, you know, when they were starting to come up with this a few yeah. years before release. Actual development began in 1990. And with Naka on the team of 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 two, um, he wanted something fast, right? Because he was a fan of Mario. He had done Ghouls and Ghosts, and he thought both were slow. Mm. So they were trying to come up with this mascot. He wanted speed for the game, and uh, they needed to figure out how to do that. So they focused on fast animals. They had come up with some other things, like <laughs> yeah. a rabbit who could grab objects with its ears and throw it, but... It didn't really work out because it messed with the pacing and kind of the engine couldn't support it. It was too complex for the programming. And they also wanted single button gameplay, which mm. was funny because, well, I'll get to it later. Something about that one button gameplay. So yeah, they, uh, they wanted a little bit more simple and they came up with this idea of rolling into a ball. And yeah. they focused on animals who could roll into a ball. They looked at armadillos and they settled on this this hedgehog who was designed by Oshima. And I read that it was based on Felix the Cat's head and Mickey Mouse's body. And yeah. while I don't see Mickey Mouse's body, if you put Sonic next to Felix the Cat, it's yeah. incredible how it's like, yeah. oh yeah, that's Felix with a hedgehog hat on. <laughs> Yeah, I've certainly I've thought of the Mickey Mouse thing with the gloves, but um, yeah, I hadn't. I don't think I'd quite made that connection. It is a funny, like it does make sense when you go through it, but actually, the the fact that it was a hedgehog to me was one of the appeals because hedgehogs are not particularly particularly fast animal at no. all. Um, so it it does make sense when you think about the the curling up into a ball thing. But actually, part of the appeal to me was that this was a cute blue hedgehog. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Like, I don't know how common hedgehogs are all around the world. They're pretty common here in the UK. I mean, you mainly see them flattened uh, on the road. Oh I, no, is it the same in North America? 
Do you have? I don't know, I don't know that we have know. indigenous head hedgehogs. Right. To be honest, <laughs> there you go. They were actually concerned that Americans wouldn't know what a hedgehog is. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's because Americans are dumb or because of the range of the animal. So <laughs> we we can just assume it's because of the range of the animal for our pride, <laughs> for my pride. But yeah, they're generally known like over in the UK. I don't know about elsewhere, mm-hmm. but they are known as um, timid but friendly garden animals. Um, but Sonic here with his blue <laughs> with his blue spikes, like it just didn't. It, it, I like the fact that it was so kind of nonsensical it was surreal it wasn't like it wasn't the obvious choice yeah it's funny you mentioned like their personality right and try and how sonic was given an attitude for Mm. i guess for the genesis itself in its marketing versus the super nintendo maybe to appeal to americans but some of the ideas that they had were awful like putting him in a rock band, giving him vampire fangs, and giving him a human girlfriend named Madonna. All of this was scrapped. Thank mm. goodness. Um, so they worked real hard on this game. As I said, development began just a year before, um, not even. And the three of them worked, you know, plus the additionals, worked 19 hours a day on the project for, for many months. There were things they couldn't do, like add a two-player. And they had great challenges, as I said earlier, with the level design, trying to make them expansive, yet manageable, navigable, and appealing to gamers' sensibilities everywhere. So Naka actually scrapped Green Hill Zone numerous times and started over from from basically Mm. zero so many times and it took him eight months to make green hill zone which is nuts because that's like most of the development (laughs) then once they had green hill zone i guess they kind of said okay we figured out some sort of formula or something yeah that was really interesting to me to see that green hill zone took such a large amount of time and it's green hill zone that you think of when you think of sonic i guess it's first level yeah certainly it's so important to make a a strong first impression isn't it yeah and it's interesting because some of those iconic things about Sonic in that Green Hill Zone, like the loop-de-loops and the the tubes that are all curvy, they don't really feature as heavily in later levels. No, the later levels have their other their own other things. Yeah, I have a feeling they got the order of the levels got rejigged uh, quite a bit as well, and there, I think there's various uh, assets um, still on the cartridge, even though it's a relatively small. Oh cartridge that that were never used actually in the game so yeah i think it's quite common for mega drive games to find because there was that debug mode that you could access on on certain versions of the game and you could actually find objects in there that and you could then place on the map that were never seen outside of outside of that so Mm. so the game in its final form it was revealed at the 1991 ces they held it back and held it back and until they could kind of steal a show, and they did. It, it basically mm. was the best thing at that 91 CES, and it won the award for innovation there. It came out just a few months later. It was successful. We'll talk about that. And uh, then they, they made it a pack-in, and, and mm. Sonic was officially Sega's mascot, and, and the console wars were real because Sega could now compete. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned some of the ports already, mm, right? Many, many. So late 91, we had that 8-bit version we talked about by Ancient on Master System and Game Gear. It later came to the Game Boy Advance as Sonic the Hedgehog Genesis in 2006. It was on iOS in 2009, Windows via Steam in 2010. In uh, 2013, there was a 3DS version called 3D Sonic the Hedgehog, where the code was rewritten to add the stereoscopic 3D and give features like filters and a level select, and they added the spin dash from Sonic 2 back into the game, which was also available in a specific mode for the GBA title. And it was also in basically every Sega compilation. There were 10 or more that I won't list, but they throw them in there all the time. It was on downloadable services, starting with the Wii, PS3, and 360 in 2006. And it was on Android in 2014. And I think it's on some of the other downloadable services, even you know, beyond oh, yeah. that generation. What I do find interesting, though, is um, if I pick up my Switch now, there mm-hmm. are three separate ways of playing Genesis Sonic the Hedgehog, like without even thinking about it. So there is just a, a ridiculous amount of ways to play Sonic. It's it's absolutely, you can't own a machine that doesn't have Sonic on it. I mean, yeah, with good reason, though, like because <laughs> yeah. Sonic, he's a, a core part of gaming history. This was absolutely the best-selling game in America in 1991, beating Super Mario World, which came out just two months later. It was Blockbuster Video's most rented game in 1991. Sold mm. 2 million copies worldwide in 1991. And as of 2016, 24 million copies worldwide were sold. And 15 million of those were the original cartridge, you know, based wow. on 2009 data. It's big, big time. You can see why Sega continue as a publisher to release a Sonic game pretty much every year without fail, because even the ones that don't review that well, I think still essentially profit, make make money. That's their boy. (laughs) We mentioned contemporary titles. I think the only ones that really Mm. matter are Super Mario World and Zelda actually came out in Japan late that year. Yeah, not a bad lineup. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that's why I'm very specific about how Sonic did so well in the US because in Japan, Mm. Zelda dominated that year even though it came out at the very end of the year. And I'm not sure about Europe. Again, we we got the Super Nintendo later, Mm. so I'm not sure either. Uh, Sonic was was big. Yeah. All right, so you had mentioned that it reviewed very (laughs) well. Yeah, I remember some of these. Uh, So Ace Magazine, which was Advanced Computer Entertainment, a UK magazine, used to award scores out of 1,000. Amazing. And and, uh, this one got 925. Uh, CMVG, Computer and Video Games, gave it 94%. Mm. EGM in America gave it 36 out of 40. Uh, Joystick gave it 98%. Uh, Ray's magazine over here gave it 95% and Sega Power, of course, gave it 97%. Oh, and the legendary Mean Machines also from the UK gave it 92%. And that was indicative across the board. Game of the Year from EGM and the Golden Joystick Awards and uh, Best Video Game from the uh, ECTS European Computer Trade Show. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was big time, big time. Yeah, big success. 
So what else? We mentioned some of these Game of the Year awards. In 2016, it was a second-year inductee into the Strong National Museum of Play's World Video Game Hall of Fame. Only six games made it in before it in the first year, even though it was a finalist in that first inaugural 2015 class. Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, Pong, Pac-Man, Doom, and World of Warcraft, if you're wondering. And Super Mario World still hasn't even ever been a finalist. But uh, I just thought that the Sonic lovers would would like that note. (laughs) Even though I'll defend Super Mario World to my grave, because that game is is an all-time best for oh, sure yeah. um and even retro reviews still rate the game very highly which is you know not always the case for old games yeah so you'll still see retro yeah. reviews pulling out sonic one and being like yeah 87 percent, 90 you know maybe not yeah. 98 99 like like when it first no. came out but people still love it yeah fundamentally i think well we'll get into it but yeah i think uh it maybe it wouldn't be fair to say it hasn't aged a day, but also I think it retains a lot of a lot of what was in, enjoyable about it. Yeah, exactly, and that does bring us right to our retro review. retro replay experience we played the game you probably caned and rinsed it i did not quite beat it unfortunately i said it was hard before and it's way easier now but it it still kind of got me toward the end there and i refused to do save states this time around because i don't know it just it felt wrong with sonic like it had to be pure Mm. yeah it's 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 not too bad to do it with without save states you can rack up a load of extra lives on the early levels, basically, and and then they'll they'll see you through. Um, it's well worth picking your way through the first few levels and racking up the uh, racking up the extra lives and continues for later use. Because yeah, I would say the last couple of levels do get a little bit testy and, mm-hmm. and a little bit frustrating at points. Yeah, I was surprised to note that different from my recollection there was a lot of ability to go up and down and around and move slowly in a Mm. lot of places and do a fair amount of exploration and finding little nooks and crannies in the levels than I remember. I remember the speed and going down the tubes and over the loops and flying through the air and just zooming to the end. And it's Mm. not entirely like that, right? This is the thing that is probably the most contentious about Sonic. And I watched a, a video recently. I think it was talking about the most recent Sonic release, which was Sonic Superstars, which mm-hmm. came out before Christmas 2023. I haven't played it. Um, it looks okay. It looks fine. It's another 2D kind of um, attempt uh, following on from Generations, I suppose. Um, Mania was a slightly different thing because it was effectively a fan project um, that Sega got behind. Um, and it was John Lineman of Digital Foundry, who's a, a friend of our podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, he he said something that I, I think I'd never really thought about, about Sonic. So the the kind of one of the most famous criticisms is the, is the 
the game wants me to go fast, but it doesn't let me because I keep hitting things. Mm-hmm. But he he said, and this because this was so obvious to me from the beginning, I'd never thought to say it to anyone else. He said he thinks people forget to tap down on the D-pad. So you're running, right. you're running at enemies and you're taking hits. And really the answer is just tap down on the D-pad and you become invincible. Right. You kill things. And it's like maybe a huge number of those people who are out there going, oh, this game's so frustrating because you, you get up to speed and then you take a hit, are just not pushing down on the D-pad so they don't get turned into a spiky ball. Is that possible? I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because they added the spin dash in the very next game, yeah. which starts yes. you out in the ball. Whereas in this game, yeah. you just start out yeah. running. You build up momentum, you start slow, and then you build up momentum. And unless you go into one of those tubes that automatically puts Sonic into a ball, you have to press the down button on the D-pad in order to go into that spin. And we said it was a one-button game, but I think it's a two-button game because the D-pad, you know, you Mm. consider that something separate, but that down button Mm. on the D-pad is an integral part of the controls and they Mm. could have put that on the b button or c button and it may have actually actually. been better for playability yeah yeah it's an interesting point but also what you say is true like actually outside of particularly some of the levels obviously spring yard zone is is the the pinball one and i and i get why people i uh, that's probably my least favorite level to go back to because you have the least amount of control mm-hmm. over sonic bouncing um, off the, the plungers yeah. and the bumpers and stuff yeah yeah uh, and it and it has a certain fun certain a certain enjoyment to it but also it really does start to irritate when you're trying to you know just inch your way through the level and and you just keep getting bounced off bumpers and whatever else and your the 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 control is just that little bit kind of wayward yeah um but actually there are a lot of levels which are much more traditional platforming levels there's so many uh secrets hidden behind walls in this game and mm-hmm. in interesting places smashable bricks and little little puzzle elements i mean it's not you know it's not mario in this regard there isn't there aren't quite so many secrets and but they're they are there. It's more Donkey um, Kong all... Country-ish. Right. Yeah. yeah. You'll find those yeah. walls yeah. that are like suspicious in a way. I think there is a yeah. visual yeah. cue, but it's pretty subtle. Yeah. I think some of them, I don't, don't know if there, there is, is no visual cue. cue. Oh, yeah. Just, like the ones you can go just... behind the, the yeah. foreground. You just push against them until, and yes, again, to me, who's been playing this for over 30 years, I just know where to go. So it's a bit different, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there's all those clever clues that they've been putting in the Mario games for a long time to suggest that you might want to look somewhere. This doesn't really have those in most places, although there are, there are areas where, because you can, the other control that we haven't mentioned, and yes, it is left and right on the D-pad for the most part, and A, B, or C, which will do exactly the same <laughs> thing. But yes, down on the D-pad not only makes you spin dash, but it also, if you hold up or down, you can look uh, around the level, which which always felt kind of partly, you know, like, why am I doing this? But actually, there are some bits where you can see secrets yeah. and things like that, places to go. I mean, it'll only get you more rings and power-ups and whatever else, because there's not there's not that much to kind of collect in this game i suppose um games over the 90s they added more and more different kind of currencies within the game more trinkets and things to collect for different rewards whereas sonic is 
rings and TVs. That's pretty much it. Like, um, but I still find the 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 sheer act of finding a row of TVs and bouncing from one to the other inherently satisfying. I don't know about you, but the actual mm -hmm. just the way that the the physics, such as they are, are coded. And the sound, the the combination of the the popping sound and the and the bounce is just inherently satisfying to me, and maybe maybe that's where I um, I get something out of it because I was there at the time that maybe a new player wouldn't get. I don't know. Maybe are those really TVs? Because I didn't realize that until <laughs> just now. I think they're supposed to be TVs oh. or monitors or screens of some kind. Amazing. Did you just think they I were like they were boxes with a clear boxes. front, like a like where you get the yeah. newspaper out of? <laughs> I mean, that makes that makes as much sense. I think they are described as TVs in the manual, but then I d yeah, I don't know if they were in the original Japanese manual. I had various copies of this on the on the Mega Drive back in the day, and one of them was a a Japanese box copy. It's worth checking out the the box art if you've never seen it because it's completely different to the the american and mm. european box art and it's got a very sort of abstract uh design heavy kind of feel and it's got sort of slogans on it and things like this it's quite interesting typically cool. sort of quirky of the era smash open video monitors with the supersonic video spin monitors. attack to get special items that help you defeat you evil dr robotnik I mean, why? I don't know, but there you go. Because there's yeah. the TV generation. Super rings, shields, yeah. power sneakers, one-ups, and invincibility. Wow. Yes. TV monitors. I mean, the, the speed-up shoes arguably do feel a bit redundant, but they are quite useful at uh, getting you up to spin dash speed yeah. more quickly. Yeah, because you do have to build momentum, and it's rather slow to start. It is very sluggish to start with, yeah, which is why every version of Sonic 1 post-1997 Sonic Jam, they added Spin Dash right to the, the original, which was invented for Sonic 2 by the the American team that put that game together. But yeah. it was like, oh, if only they'd thought of it while they were making the original. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, actually, they initially made Sonic's speed equivalent his his default speed basic speed just by pressing left and right equivalent right. to the mario run speed mm. and it it wasn't fully agreed upon whether this was great or too fast or mm. you know so they they reduced the speed a little bit before releasing the game it, he was actually intended to be a little bit faster right off the bat but they slowed it down just a touch to i guess give yeah. you a little more control but it does feel awkward when yeah. you have to slow down if when yeah. it's necessary Agreed. to slow down do your little yeah jumps that are more precise and then go back into a fast area cuz the real yeah. the pure feeling of sonic the hedgehog to me is doing that all that fast stuff tapping down mm -hmm. on that d-pad when you need to mm. it's almost like uh there's a rhythm to it you know so yeah. slowing down for those other more precise platforming aspects is it's just a little awkward and and sometimes doesn't mm -hmm. feel out of place it's one of the first things i wrote in my notes yeah yeah i think i think that's fair and again i think it probably helps the fact that because i i played this originally at the time and it was yeah c compared to a lot of contemporary games particularly on the like the computers that i was used to the controls still felt pretty slick but actually yes there were definitely frustrations particularly trying to just walk up a 
a slope and just not not even being able to get the speed together so you have to literally run back uh a few feet on the level and then start running at things again mm-hmm. yeah there there were definitely some frustrations with it but i think just years of kind of learning the layouts has kind of inured me to just remembering what the kind of the pace that you need to be at at any particular point is right and as i say don't get me wrong i am in no way like a a good like a proper good player like a speedrunner type player but i'm at the point now where i just i kind of know what's coming all the time so i think that does help mm. but as i say any version you play nowadays mostly will have the spin dash added yeah i think that's i mean that's like a patch essentially i would yeah. i would almost consider yeah, yeah. it canon to be in the first game like yeah. they yeah. meant it to be there it's the spirit of the game they just couldn't add it because it was right there yeah. in Sonic 2. Yeah. Yeah. And that alleviates a lot of that stuff, the momentum, getting up the, if you're in like a, a half pipe, which happens kind of a lot, trying yeah. to go up a hill, having to go back and yeah, forth. Yeah. Um, oh, Absolutely. one thing that I did was when going up a slope and not making mm. it, I would press a mm. button and you jump exactly perpendicularly off of whatever surface you're on so you jump backwards as much as forwards in in certain situations it's a little weird which you can uh you can use uh in quite a skillful technical Mm -hmm. way to get onto certain platforms but also at other points it can be just yeah quite irritating because you feel like you're not getting anywhere and you, you're supposed to be this super cool, slick, fast running hedgehog and you're going everywhere, but you want where you want to go, which um, which I guess is where some people's, some players' frustration emanates from. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned the looking up and looking down earlier. Mm. And I was, another thing that surprised me was the degree of verticality in all these levels is immense. Right. Like more so than games that we think of as having added verticality like the first game we talked about Hmm. on the show was super mario 2 and that added a lot of verticality then you have some other super nintendo games even super mario world with the verticality not quite as much as sonic especially like Hmm. later on when you're springing up off of those plungers those like pinball plungers and going you know like five stories equivalent up on the screen these levels are very wide and top of the screen yeah it would the way i would uh still play some of the early zones so there's three three green hill zones and um mm-hmm. i would basically so there's, there's kind of three core paths across most of them i think um would be to because you've got a 10 minute timer in this game mm-hmm. um you've got time to go all the way to the end on each path and collect every single ring and that would be my thing oh. to do would be to collect every TV and every ring on all three paths. And by that point, you'd have uh, probably, you know, be leaving the level with several backup lives um, that you may or may not know. Oh, that's very smart because it's an odd number. So that allows you to go through to the end, backwards through the next one, and then forward to the end. That's it. Not all the levels let you do that, but at least part of Green Hill Zone does. Yeah, the one that they Um, took eight months to make. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there is, of course, uh, there are some uh, points bonuses because, you know, this is a game of its time. There's also a scoring system and you could play Sonic the Hedgehog for high score if you wanted to. There is a a massive points bonus for finishing the level hyper quickly, um, which you obviously 
don't get if you do what I'm just talking about, but you don't care because <laughs> you've got you've got all the rings and all the lives. And um, but yes, uh, for, for that's probably not something that would all again all players would enjoy doing. But for me, it's kind of part of the ritual is just the bimbling around the the first levels and um, yeah, just hoovering up everything, trying to avoid taking a single hit the entire time. Yeah, I like that they that they have multiple ways to play it. You could do it the fast way. Mm. You could do it the more completionist way. And so yeah. I have never fully understood those point values that come up at the end of each level where you, you see <laughs> the Dr. Robotnik sign, you go past it, spins around, you jump. You oh, What is that yeah. all about? Does that have to do with your time? I think, no, I think the, the points that come out where the, uh, I think it's to just to do where, with what points on the screen you hit but I, I'm not sure if it's consistent. Or oh. not. So yeah, that might, huh. I'm not entirely sure. Actually, It's not in the manual. Uh, no, it doesn't really say. <laughs> and then sometimes the there's a ring there at the somewhere. end of the level. What is that? Yeah. So the giant ring takes you into the bonus stage. Yeah. So uh, the bonus stage uh, is something that they played around with. And virtually every Sonic has a different kind of bonus stage. Sonic 1's bonus stage I both love and hate. Um, I love it. In that. So, yeah. So you're put into a into ring form and you're effectively kind of not really floating, but you're bouncing. Bouncing, yeah. And the and the, the space that you're in spins around you. It's got this kind of dreamlike music uh -huh. and this very odd surreal backdrop that morphs from different animals and and things um but yeah, it is also rotates. incredibly yeah but it's also um basically you can't really tell where you need to go mm -hmm. and there's lots of just instant fail states in the in the levels there's there's lots of things which and they're called confusingly they're called goal making it look like it's where you want to go <laughs> but actually it's uh it's you're going to get ejected from the stage it spins around and sends you back into the world but actually what you're looking for of course are the legendary chaos emeralds which are squirreled away somewhere in the stage yeah and you need to somehow negotiate your way there are little bumpers which you can use to change the direction of the rotation of the level or speed it up or slow it down and again practice and experience will get you a long way in terms of knowing where to go but the first few times um, you will almost certainly just drop out the level and um, you'll run out of opportunities to get Chaos Emeralds before the end of the game. And that's the only way to get the the good, true ending. Oh. But really the only difference it makes is a slightly different um, end credit sequence. But, you know, there was nothing back in the day. There was no, you know, New Game Plus or save state to say, yeah, you completed this game properly. It was just, you know, you turned it off and but you knew you'd done it. And that was that was enough. So mm -hmm. um, obviously, I think in modern versions, things like the Xbox 360 version, you'd get an achievement for collecting all the Chaos Emeralds and finishing the game properly. So there have been extrinsic rewards added for going the extra mile. But of course, save states definitely are your friend in those special zones, right? Yeah, for sure. Which I didn't use. If you, if you can stand to use them. Yeah. Normally I do. I don't know why with Sonic, I just didn't want to. Um, and another thing that's in those levels is kind of breakout style blocks where you hit them and they mm. disappear, but you get bounced back. Mm. So you have to continually break these blocks to reach the Chaos Emerald. Usually 
it's somewhere in the center of an area with a lot of these surrounding and you're bouncing off and there are those goal areas kind of placed so that you're going to bounce into them if you aren't careful it's tense yeah it is but i like it i it's but it's a whole different game it's really like a different game Mm. inserted into sonic and doesn't really fit i don't know yeah it's more like um it's more like i don't know kuru 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 rin on the game boy advance or something like that it's um yeah it's odd um and obviously yeah this in the second game they went for the kind of 3d tunnels and then in the third game they went with the blue spheres 3d and then the cd one they went with mode seven type Mm -hmm. three yeah they've just they they never settled on a this is what a sonic bonus stage should be they always uh they kept binning off the last one and adding (laughs) adding a different one i'm not sure they've ever nailed what they wanted to do with it but this one is if nothing else it's kind of memorable and distinctive and i really love the music Mm -hmm. yeah yeah as we talked about the music is also good the graph we didn't talk a ton about the graphics but the graphics for the time were phenomenal so bright they had a sort of 3d effect to them with Mm -hmm. the uh they sort of did that checkerboard pattern where they could use the shapes to make it have a a perspective effect and it gave everything Mm. kind of a nice rounded look um so bright so clear interesting enemy designs sonic himself was a is a great character design it was this is a beautiful looking game probably the best looking game that i played at that time and it still looks great oh it was yeah incredibly it ages immaculately striking multi multi layers of parallax gave it so much depth as mm-hmm. well oh yeah um, that's right the backgrounds the the yeah the the just that selling the idea of this that you're in this um this larger world i always i actually like the fact that like there's barely any connection between world between levels like Mm -hmm. there's no real indication as to how you got from um you know one place to another but there's a you can just kind of i don't know oh yeah so wildly different imagination yeah they are yeah there's no i mean other than the sort of the the motif of the checker boarding which which actually doesn't even kind of last all the way through right i guess in that sense you can tell it's the kind of the first game in the series because a lot of the ideas are kind of a bit more scattershot and a bit less coherent but mm-hmm. i think that actually is quite fun for it it means that every level feels distinct in a way that not all games kind of manage um and yeah, I just, even as a yeah late teens, you know, as a young man when I was playing this for the first time, but it still really sold me the feeling of kind of that childhood glee, that sense of exploration and wonder, the, the you know, seeing the sparkling water and the distant uh, scenery. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I will fire this game up on my, you know, current generation console and TV, and I still think it looks really pretty i think it looks really nice and mm-hmm. even though the pixels are pretty chunky by today's standards yeah it's it's a game and visually i don't think it stands up badly at all really i think the a testament to that was when sonic mania came out a few years ago which does uh enhance the pixel type graphics to quite a degree in terms of animation and complexity but that was only i can't remember what year that was like 2017 18 19 something like that i can't quite mm. remember um, I don't really remember. But it was essentially a, a 2D Sonic game for that generation of machine and, and, and really it took all the graphical kind of themes and, and styles from the 30-year-old games and still looked 
pretty excellent as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was that whole idea of changing levels. I always liked that in games. And I, I find that, for example, Super Mario 64 has always been a standout game for giving you a wildly diverse set of levels. Yeah. And that was fresh for mm -hmm. Mario at that time because even Super Mario World, which did mm. have its different islands and zones, they still were mostly the same, maybe different color palettes. They, they still worked mm. pretty similarly. And yeah. you got there slowly, whereas Sonic jumped you in, like you said, to these brand new, sudden, different, different world. And I think that's great. Mm. And that that kind of originated that a little bit in high profile platformers. That's, you know, that's something to be said. Um, another thing I wanted to mention much earlier was that I feel like the general design intention of Sonic and his speed and kind of winging through the level and just tapping down to kill your enemies and moving on quickly. I think mm. Super Mario Galaxy tapped into mm. the Sonic sort of level progression a little bit. You know how that kind of just slung you along? And Galaxy to me is one of the greatest Mario games ever made. And it kind of has that Sonic the Hedgehog swinging, slinging, spinning, flying through the level, whatever you do through the level, moving quickly through the level without, you know, taking your time to stop and, and do a lot of things if you didn't want to. And that's that's really interesting to think about that sort of influence, if it was an influence. It may not have been, but it definitely, I can see it. I can see it yeah. like reverberating so many years later in Galaxy. Do you get that sense yeah. a little? Um yeah, I do. And and in fact, um, bringing it back to you, you asking me my all-time favorite games, <clears throat> Super Mario Galaxy would be in that in that conversation mm. on in that echelon as well. Nice choice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the, the I, I I do know what you're saying. That sort of sense of freewheeling, kind of surreal wonder um, that that Sonic has, um, without kind of almost there is an overarching theme, but without them kind of worrying too hard about always kind of hitting certain stylistic points or whatever they're they're, they're more concerned about creating a sense of a wonder and adventure yeah which um which yeah which as i say like for me while i i do enjoy a lot of the sort of the the, the gameplay aspects of video games so much of my enduring love for games is to do with achieving that sense of wonder that sparks the imagination and kind of sends you off to a, another place and um yeah sonic does do that i think in a way that galaxy probably does as well yeah yeah we're getting close to the end here but dr robotnik or dr mm. eggman he's at the end of each zone in this sort of different way as the boss we have our three levels and the third level ends with a confrontation with dr robotnik what did you think about that are there any that stood out what do you think i always um i always appreciated that the boss fights in this were uh not too uh drawn out mm -hmm. you know they they can be completed pretty quickly especially if you know what's coming um i like the fact that uh there was a little bit of variety so each time 
he would turn up with a slightly different tool set in yeah. <laughs> a sort of wily e. coyote yeah, uh, road versus road runaway like what should i get in with this time okay well i'm going to hammer the tops of these statues so it fires blow darts at him um and of course he always comes a cropper because something that he's doing also allows you to attack him mm-hmm. whether it's uh whether it's springboarding spiky little explosive balls up to him or jumping off the very blow darts that he's trying to hit you with and and hitting the underside um i think the important aspects for me are the fact that actually hitting him sounds and feels good like there's a nice feedback oh, to yeah. it you know exactly most of the time you know exactly where and when you can hit him safely to do damage, which I think is something that even some of the 2D sequels, which I, I like, as I say, I like the, the Mega Drive games all a lot. They got a bit more pernickety about when and where you could damage mm. Eggman's egg. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's pretty much like, yeah, that's it's clear now. It's clear that I can, I can hit him. Um, there was just enough peril because there were certain... Uh, certain boss screens where you could drop off the bottom or whatever um, as the platforms would get eaten away or set on fire or whatever. Um, But yeah, none of them fills me with, uh, you know, I'm not a big boss fight fan in video games overall with, with exceptions. There are definite exceptions, Um, but there aren't any in this game, save maybe the very last one, which is pretty easy once you know how to do it, where it, he shows up and I'm like, Oh God, not this. Um, generally, you know that a few carefully timed leaps and uh, and he'll be out of there smoking and with his, his little pan- panic face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His face which is adds, so good. Which adds a lot, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Dr. Robotnik yeah, what about as you? a boss. Um, I kind of echo mm. the way that you feel. I He was very satisfying to hit because of that sort of dampening mm. when you when you bounce off and you don't like fully bounce off him, yeah. but you also kind of like penetrate his his sprite ever so slightly it feels like yes and he has that exactly. flash and the sound so it was always good um i do like how they mixed it up even one of them you don't even attack him or maybe you can and i just wasn't yeah. able to but it's uh you can hit him but you yeah, yeah i hit him once the very can't. beginning and you're you're That's escaping it. from yeah. the water and then he just he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can uh if you if you play that brilliantly, you can keep catching up to him um and hit him a few more times, but he still ultimately just ends up flying off at the end of that stage. I suppose that it I mean that is probably the stage that people are most likely to tap out on the water stage mm-hmm. because of the 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 kind of the pace of the game obviously slows to a crawl. Yes. And of course, what you won't have necessarily thought about is those of us who were playing this on pal back in the day our game was already slow around 15 percent slower yeah. than yours I always so the water that. levels were absolutely turgid we we coped we made do we we didn't know to expect anything else but um but yeah it was a relief when we started getting the uh <laughs> the, the optimized versions later on um but yeah i think um if there was a level if i was going to play up to a level and then stop because I'd had my fill, it would probably be Labyrinth. Interesting. Um, I actually really liked the Labyrinth yeah. zone, which is the water zone, mm. because of mm-hmm. how they just sneakily added in the oxygen system. With bo- Oh, God. We have to mention the terror. Yeah. The sound, <laughs> the music when you are running out of oxygen. Oh, God. How many times yeah. that thing runs out and Sonic just like 
looks stunned at the screen and falls off. Oh, I remember the the heart, yeah, the my heart stopping when I was a kid. Now it was fine. <laughs> but in the original plays of this game, that was oh, super God. panicky. The only way it could have been worse would be if, uh, I don't know if you remember the animation that Lara Croft used to do in the original Tomb Raider when she ran out of air, where she's kind of literally writhing and clutching mm. for Doesn't life. Doesn't she clutch she, her neck, as, her throat? As, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's... God. If, if, I mean, Sonic at least just kind of makes a kind of goofy oh, yeah. face. <laughs> Horrific, though. Yeah, but I think that was cool that they were able to incorporate that pretty seamlessly. Like, there's just these bubbles coming up mm. out of the floor. And what I do appreciate is kind of right when you approach them, they let out a big bubble that you can use to get air. And it, and it refills you. Yeah, mostly. Some, <laughs> except when, except when you need it the most. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they've... I don't know if they've tweaked that um, fre frequency in some of the uh, uh, like the Sonic Origins version, but it feels like it's a bit more generous with the with the air bubbles. Yeah. I wonder if they had a little look at that. <laughs> but yeah, more often than not. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guest and myself whether revisiting the game in... 2024 and beyond has been worth it or is worth it for someone else who's intending to do so so what are your final thoughts on sonic the hedgehog and would you rate it a smash or if it's not a smash i guess we'll call it more of a brick so what do you think <laughs> i think uh i think we've been sort of quite careful to acknowledge the a lot of the irritations mm -hmm. that are commonly leveled at Sonic and particularly Sonic 1, which obviously was a, you know, kind of test space uh, for this th this set of mechanics. Um, even one year later when they released the, the much vaunted sequel, as I say, although it was um, some of the same team and, and some different folks, they'd, they'd refined some elements, possibly at the expense of some others, but I guess that's for another show. Um, Actually, for a first, it wasn't the first uh, kind of big, colourful character action platformer that they'd released on the Mega Drive. I'm a massive fan of Castle of Illusion starring Mickey mm, Mouse, which yep. was prior to this. Um, much slower game, but actually you can feel some of the kind of the relationship. Beautiful art, beautiful sound, beautiful everything. I love that game. Um, also kind of very finishable and designed, designed to be completed and perhaps in some ways less frustrating than Sonic. But um, but I still fundamentally find the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of Sonic enjoyable. Um, and as I say, I do wonder, going back to John Linneman's point, is maybe some of the folks who don't are forgetting to tap down on the D-pad to turn into a spiky ball of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, like I'd probably... I've probably completed this game as many times as any other game that's ever been made or or at least started it uh, many, many hundreds of times. As I say, I'll always pick it up whenever it's re-released on, on whatever platform and, and have another go. I may now kind of, I might be more likely to actually play through one of the sequels. Sonic 3 and Knuckles is kind of epic in its, con in its entirety. Mm. But Sonic 1... Absolutely. Uh, still a smash for me. Okay. Um, and still a pleasure to play. So a smash from Leon. And yeah. 
a smash from me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tiptoe around it. I think Sonic the Hedgehog, even though I was not a Sega kid at all, I did play it. It was my first mm. 16-bit game, and it still plays well. There is that, you know, the the weird control there with the down button, but actually, you know what? It would be really wise, I think, if when games from a long time ago are re-released on modern consoles to just kind of put the instruction booklet on screen for you to tap the a button Mm -hmm. through the pages or like press start to skip Mm. this because that was a part of the game back then and if you just look at the instruction manual it says it right there press the d button down when sonic's moving to bump off enemies with the super sonic spin attack and if you know that right off the bat which you would it shouldn't be a problem yeah it's just coming to (laughs) it later we don't we don't have instruction manuals even included with games anymore you learn in the game but yeah i mean this game is you know it's historic it was is an inductee into the video game hall of fame it cemented sega as a contender it's just a good game it's just a good game the the level design is interesting and deeper than you expect it's got a variety of ways to play it's got a variety of obstacles that are interesting to navigate. It's just a good game. Definitely a smash. I recommend playing it. It was worth it. I was happy to play it. So yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog's a smash and it is worth revisiting and was worth revisiting in 2024 and beyond. And now that you've heard what we think, I'm going to quickly pull in a couple of back of the box style quotes from members of our Discord. I have one here from Sogeki Dan says, Cold take. I never liked Sonic games for their gameplay. Maybe he liked it for the graphics and sound. Or maybe he didn't like it at all. And Carlos says, The speed versus platforming again strikes me as such an odd mix and never really meshes well, but I enjoyed it. Also, the teeter-totters mechanic is awesome. So that's a couple from our Discord. And I also want to take a minute to give a special shout-out to some of our younger listeners you know we give the perspective as old gamers from the 70s 80s 90s but uh we do have some younger listeners and i just want to say hey thanks for listening everybody i hope you're learning about these old games it's awesome i really appreciate it and i'm really happy to see and hear about younger gamers getting into this old stuff that's really cool thanks everybody for listening and playing along with us if you did and thanks leon for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Leon. Thanks for asking me. Always fun yeah. to talk about Sonic. Now, Leon, you can find at the Cane and Rinse podcast, which you can search on any podcasting platform, wherever you're listening now, go find Cane and Rinse and listen mm-hmm. to 600 some odd episodes, right? Uh, yeah, go for it. So find Leon there and uh, take a look at wherever you are listening or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. And if you've made it this far, leave us a a generous and helpful five-star rating and review for totally free. But if you want to go above and beyond that and support the show monetarily while getting some fun perks, head over to patreon.com slash smashingbricks and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. You could also jump into the awesome Fireflower tier and choose a specific game to be played on an upcoming Power Up episode. You can read my personal notes for every game, you can get ongoing recognition on the show, or you can even join me as a guest at a higher tier of support. 
That's patreon.com slash smashing bricks. We have a Discord where you can come chat about pretty much anything, leave commentary about upcoming or past games, or suggest games to be considered for the show. Check out the Smashing Bricks playlist to see what you think needs to be added or to call out a game you think we should play ASAP. Links to everything mentioned, plus Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch can be found in the episode description and at our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash smashingbricks. As for next episode, it is a power up episode. This is a game chosen by one of the show's Fireflower patrons, and it will be the ninth entry in one of the most beloved JRPG franchises in the history of video games. Next episode, patron Legit Camel has presented us with Final Fantasy IX on the Sony PlayStation. I will be joined by a mystery guest yet to be announced and discuss this four-disc beast of a game. So get your hands on a copy, play along, send in your thoughts, and join us next time on Smashing Bricks. That about wraps it up for today. I'm still Eddie Zotto. That is Leon Cox. And until next time, may the nostalgia be with you.